This is episode 299 with physiology PhD and expert in metabolism and cardiovascular disease, Dr. Lat Mansoor. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the goal of this show, strengthrunning.com, and our YouTube channel is to help you better understand the process of improvement. Because when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. If you're new here, welcome. I'm the head coach of Strength Running, formerly a 239 marathoner, and the author of the new performance training journal, now available on Amazon. On this podcast, I share my insights on the sport and speak with the world's smartest subject matter experts to help you improve. I'm happy to connect anytime, so feel free to email me or send me a message on Instagram or YouTube. If you enjoy this podcast, support our sponsors who help us keep the lights on. First is Prevenex. I've never partnered with a supplement company until this year. That's because Prevenex is, in my view, the best. They only use the most bioavailable, clinically tested ingredients, the optimal form and dose of each ingredient, pharmaceutical-grade manufacturing, testing of raw ingredients and finished products, and for every purchase you make, they donate vitamins to kids in need. It's a supplement company that's voluntarily putting themselves under more scrutiny and holding themselves to higher standards. That is just what you want in a supplement company. One great example of one of their products that I know runners are going to love is their joint health product. The main ingredient is clinically proven to reduce joint pain, to reduce joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in just 7 to 10 days. That is almost unheard of. Beyond that, it's also clinically proven in double-blinded, placebo-controlled studies to protect joint cartilage from breaking down during exercise. Get 15% off your order with code JASON15, it's not case sensitive, at Prevenex.com. That's spelled P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com with code JASON15 for 15% off your order. Next, get yourself a MOBO board. Go to MOBOBoard.com and use code STRENGTHRUN10 to save 10% on your board. It was invented by renowned physical therapist Jada Sherry, and MOBO helps you stabilize your stance with an innovative rocker board that's set up on these two fins. You learn how to improve stability with the proper mechanics from the foot to the hip. And I was actually just at a weekend workshop on injury prevention and performance, which was led by Jada Sherry. And it's amazing how important it is to be able to do this movement. It's necessary to produce power and optimize your form. Get both benefits with a MOBO board at MOBOBoard.com. And don't forget code STRENGTHRUN10. It'll save you 10%. Okay, my guest today is the lead researcher at HVMN, Dr. Lat Mansour. He holds a PhD from Oxford in physiology, anatomy, and genetics, and also earned his master's degree from Columbia in biotechnology. He's a renowned expert in metabolic health, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and physiology. His latest research interests are on the physical and cognitive benefits of exogenous ketones and how they can help the military, athletes, and even astronauts. Our discussion today is on ketones and the benefits they may give endurance runners. Typically, you have to be in ketosis to produce ketones and benefit from them, which means you have to eat virtually no carbohydrate for days. That's a tall order for runners whose preferred fuel source is carbohydrate. So our conversation focuses on taking ketones as supplements, what that does to our glycogen stores, our mental outlook, recovery, and of course, performance. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Lat Mansour. All right, Dr. Lat Mansour, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So we are going to be exploring a topic today that I admittedly don't know much about. This is well outside my wheelhouse as a running coach, but I feel like I really need to understand this a little bit better. This whole topic of using ketones as fuel for endurance runners 
And everything that we have to know about that issue and all the caveats and everything like that, maybe we can start with a little bit of your background and and why you are so particularly interested in ketones. Sure. Um, Ironically, I started to have a great interest in this area, not because of performance. It was because of chronic disease. So I grew up with... um, a family with high prevalence of chronic disease. So my mom's side has high prevalence of diabetes and high blood pressure. My late dad passed away from stroke. He had a heart attack before. And the whole family has sort of high prevalence of cardiovascular disease as well. So throughout my studies, I did undergraduate and my master's in biotechnology. And during my PhD, I actually studied the metabolism of a type 2 diabetic heart in hypoxia, which is low oxygen environment. So that was what got me really interested in metabolism, physiology, and all of that. And to top it all up, I was also growing up as you know an overweight individual as well. So I didn't start to lose weight until I was in my undergrad when I learned more about physiology, metabolism, the fact that I can change what I was given genetically just by changing my lifestyles and habits. And then you know, I was, uh, after my PhD, I was in sort of uh, a health tech startup um, working for a diabetes management program. And then from there, you know, we looked at um, activity, we look at food and nutrition. And then uh, I was, I also ran my own startup company, uh, trying to use chatbot to help people understand the blood test results. And then I got I got introduced to HVMN in 2019, and they were looking for a research lead that helped them with their military contract, the six million dollar contract that we currently have, that uses exogenous ketones to improve cognition and physical performance in hypoxia. So also again low oxygen. Uh, so imagine military personnel in high altitude or deep sea exploration or diving where they have high. Um, risk of developing cognition decline or cognitive decline due to low oxygen. And that's where um, they saw a really promising preliminary results with the use of exogenous ketones and they wanted to explore that more and therefore they, they've allocated the grant money for it. And then ever since then, my interest has been in metabolic health and physiology. So I always tell people performance and chronic diseases are on the same spectrum. It's just one end, there are people who are much better at metabolism. And then on the other end, there is a lot of dysfunction that is going on in the metabolic pathway of these populations. I'd love to ask you, when you say hypoxia, low oxygen environments, like high altitude, what qualifies as high altitude? I'm just curious, because I was wondering if I can blame my own cognitive decline on just simply living in Denver, Colorado. <laughs> you know what? Uh, uh, one of the base um, that we we actually ran studies on is based in Colorado uh, Springs, because um, they are the mountaineering school that's based there. And we generally, generally in the studies, in the tasks that we performed, we are simulating between 14,000 to 20,000 feet um, high in terms of altitude. And that's where you start to see some, especially acutely, uh, you'll start to see some cognitive decline. But generally, humans, uh, even to a certain extent, animals, we can see a certain level of adaptation after a week, two weeks. Um, That's when your cognition and and your uh, metabolism start to adapt to the high altitude. Although what we have seen in, say, my study, my my PhD study, was that in the metabolic heart, uh, sorry, in the type 2 diabetic heart, it fails to switch over to glucose. So we can talk about that in a bit. Like, But generally, when you go into hypoxia, your body will switch to be more reliant on sugar because the first pathway of sugar metabolism is glycolysis. And that pathway is independent of oxygen. So, so it's, you, can, you can actually go through that pathway, create energy without the presence of oxygen. Whereas everything else downstream from that, you will need oxygen, right? So it only makes sense that your body will prioritize survivability and then push metabolism towards glucose. Uh, what we have seen in metabolically inflexible people, um, such as you know diabetic individuals or chronic disease, uh, patients, 
we see an inflexibility. So they're not able to switch over the glucose. They have high fatty acid metabolism and high fatty acid oxidation, and they don't switch over. So very interesting. So I, I can't exactly blame any cognitive decline just on living in Denver here. <laughs> I mean, you probably are way more adapted to high altitude than anyone else that you know if who are not living there so like you know if you go on a run on high altitude i, I think you're perfectly you know uh, you would probably you know come up advantages to uh, compared to a lot more people who do not live in high altitude yeah for sure for sure um although i'm, I'm probably not going to be running up at like 16 18 000 feet uh, i don't think i have too much interest in that but <laughs> let's back up a little bit and actually talk about ketones. What are they? You know, they've been described as the fourth macronutrient, which is a very interesting way of describing them in, in my view. And I'd love to just get like, what is the simple definition for a ketone? And also, can we differentiate between an exogenous ketone versus an endogenous ketone? Yeah, sure. So, you know, traditionally, we're looking at the three main macronutrients, the fats, the carbs, the proteins right? And now that exogenous ketones have been out there, we are starting to describe it as the fourth micronutrient. And the reason is because it is in the same category as these other substrates, it does produce energy, right? It goes into mitochondria, it produces energy. So let's start with ketones in general. What are ketones? Ketones are essentially substrates that our bodies can produce when we are low on glucose and glucose storage, like glycogen. So when you are having intermittent fasting or when you're in ketogenic diet where you severely restrict your carbohydrate intake, your body will run really low on glucose and that's when your body starts breaking down fat into ketones in your liver. Now, people might ask, why? Why does the body break down fat? Because we can directly metabolize fat and we can directly use our fat storage in order to create energy, right? This is where evolution comes in and shows us that it is not the fat that we, we can use in order to maintain brain function because the brain has a blood-brain barrier. So it's a barrier of, of, of cells, a very thin layer, that prohibits bigger molecule to get past the blood-brain barrier. And fatty acids are of a very long carbon chain, it's a much bigger molecule that cannot bypass the blood-brain barrier. So in order for the brain to get enough substrates, enough fuel, it needs to be broken down into ketones, which are smaller molecule sizes in order to bypass the blood-brain barrier. So normally the brain uses a lot of glucose. Our brain weighs 2% of our body weight, but uses 25% of our daily calorie in intake. So we know that the brain is a metabolically very, very active organ. So no matter what happens, it will prioritize the brain and the heart because they those organs will always need to be working from the day that we're born until the day we die. And therefore, we have evolved to create ketones from fat through periods of time where we do not have food, where we are not in abundance. You know, if you look at historically, we have famine, we have, you know, even back in prehistoric human ages, right? We will go for hunts and hunt animals or, or forage uh, the, the forest. And they didn't have any storage system. They didn't have a fridge to keep everything fresh. So they will hunt, they'll get the food, they'll go through the, the period of abundance, and then they'll go through a period where they do not have food, where they have to go out and hunt. And that's when they have the ketone production and they'll go through that anabolism and, and catabolism. And also ketones uh, have been proven to um, really give the brain the not just the energy, but also the clarity and focus that the brain needs. So on top of just providing energy, it also uh, increases the interaction between brain regions. And this has been shown via functional MRI as well. So that's ketone bodies in general. So the three main ketone bodies that we pr produce in our bodies are acetoacetate, acetone, 
and beta-hydroxybutyrate. And the last one, beta-hydroxybutyrate or BHB, just to be short, is the main ketone body that we use for metabolism because it's the most stable. Whereas acetone usually gets released in breath. So when you're on a ketogenic diet, they th- they, people say you have the fruity sort of smell. That's usually acetone that comes out in breath. Acetone acetate, sometimes, you know, it can come out in, in urine as well. So whenever you do like the urine test for ketones, usually they test acetoacetate and beta-hydroxybutyrate is usually what people test when they do blood ketone levels. And that's what being measured for metabolism. And that's just endogenous ketones. And we haven't even touched exogenous ketones yet. So are endogenous ketones created by your body and then exogenous ketones are ketones that you might ingest that come from some outside source? Correct. So endogenous internal, the way I remember endogenous internal, exogenous external. So that's easy way to remember it. So, you know, all this while through human civilization or human history, we have not been able to consume ketones because our bodies make ketones directly from fats. Yes, there are certain fats like MCT oil that increases ketone production in the body. And there are certain ways that we can, you know, certain lifestyle we can adopt in order to produce more ketones. But there have never been a technology where it produces large amount of ketones that we can directly ingest and increase our blood ketone levels until now. Until 2017 was, was the first time a ketone ester entered the market and it was brought forward by HVMN. So, you know, all this time, we know that ketones may be good for the brain. It, may, it has been used to treat epilepsy for the past 100 years. And we know the positive effect that ketones have on the brain, right? And even in the heart, actually, a, f- a failing heart, they have seen, even without ketones in the body, it upregulates ketone metabolism. Um, it will start producing ketones because of the efficiency when it comes to oxidation and metabolism. And when ketones are available, the heart and the brain does prefer to take up ketones. And recently, I interviewed um, Dr. Tommy Wood from um, Seattle. Um, he is an expert when it comes to brain injury and and brain metabolism. And I found out from him that in an injured brain, it actually uses up a lot of ketones to build the fatty acids, again, to um, to really help with the recovery of the brain injury and build up all the um, structural, um, the, the structure of the cells, essentially, structures of neurons in order to recover from the injury. So, and then what happened was about 20 years ago, the US military um, invested some money into grants to come up with a super fuel to help military personnel to go on long and demanding missions. And through that, NIH and University of Oxford sort of came up with the idea of exogenous ketones because they're like, okay, we already know proteins, carbs, and fats. Like, What else can we use to really propel long and demanding missions further and make sure that our military, our operators have, you know, top-notch cognitive performance, even after like days of not eating. And yes, they could be using ketones, but, you know, we can't put them on ketogenic diet because that's too restrictive. We can't just ask them to fast because it does have a certain level of energy, you know, affecting, affecting these people. So exogenous ketone was the idea. And until then, we had ketone salts, we had um, MCT. The problem with these products, while they are cheap and accessible, they don't raise your blood ketone levels high enough to have that advantage. So that's why they came up with ketone ester. And ketone ester is just a fancy name of two molecules being bound together in an ester bond. And one of them is a ketone. So BHB bound with butane diol was the first ketone monoester that was out in the market. And, for, and lo and behold, this, this ketone ester managed to raise your blood BHB level up to three to five millimolar. And just for reference, if you're not on a ketogenic diet, if you're not in ketosis, 
your BHP level, your blood BHP level should be between 0 to 0 0.1, very low, right? Almost non-existent. If you're on a ketogenic diet, nutritional ketosis is being defined as 0 0.5 millimolar. But this ketonester, for the first time ever, you can spike your blood BHP up to like 3 to 5 millimolar within half an hour which is amazing, right? And that's when people started feeling the difference. They can feel the subjective focus. They can feel the extra energy without actually getting jitters. But then over the next two, three years, more and more study because it became a commercial product. So a lot of researchers can get their hands on this product. So a lot of research then suddenly bloomed and looked at performance. They looked at therapeutic areas like diabetes, Alzheimer's, fa uh, heart failure. So then they realized that by spiking your blood BHB level up so high within a short amount of time, you also drop the blood pH level, meaning you are increasing blood acidity. And as a result, these athletes are not getting an improvement in performance, but they're feeling that they're working out harder. They're having a higher rate of perceived exertion, RPE, and they are increasing their cardiorespiratory stress biomarkers, such as breath rate, uh, breath rate and heart rates, because your body is trying to excrete a lot more carbon dioxide in order to neutralize the blood, uh, blood pH. And on top of that, because ketone acid tastes quite bad, it's quite bitter. So it also induces a lot of GI issues, like people start puking and all in all of these studies, some of them got, you know, negative sort of detrimental effect, if you would, instead of a uh, ergogenic effect because of the GI issues. And it's also $40 per 25 grams, which is expensive if you're not an elite athlete with, you know, a big institution paying for your supplements. And you surely can't take it on a daily basis, especially for people who are using it for metabolic health and therapeutic users. So in 2021, we came out with Ketone IQ, which is essentially butane diol. So earlier on, I said ketone is BHB bound with butane diol in an ester bond. We took half of that, which is the butane diol, and made it a drink called ketone IQ. Um, it's cheaper. It works better in terms of not spiking your blood BHB too high because it goes through your liver to get converted to BHB. So your liver is the gatekeeper. And because it has signals from the rest of your body, it is very good at making sure that your blood ketone levels doesn't go beyond 2.5 millimolar. And third, um, it it tastes better. It's easier to do flavor R&D on them. So price point, the pharmacokinetics, and the taste. There's so much to discuss here. Um, I would love to go back and, and talk about ketones as energy. And I've heard ketones discussed as an energy source and you've sort of indirectly answered this question, but I just really want to confirm when we think about energy, there's really two different ways of thinking about that. There's caloric energy, something like you eat a sandwich, you get energy from that sandwich, and then you can get energy from a cup of coffee. And that works very differently by blocking any markers of fatigue in your brain. And so when we are discussing ketones, it's more of the, the former, correct? Like we are, we are burning these ketones as fuel. Correct. So that's a really great point there, Jason, because a lot of people, when we, especially when we first launched, when we talk about brain super fuel and people, are, oh, it's like coffee. And I want to make this really clear here is that coffee is a form of stimulant. As you said, it blocks the fatigue markers, it fatigue receptors. It basically stops you from feeling tired and it stimulates brain energy demand. However, it does not directly provide energy to the brain. So the brain still needs to pull energy from somewhere else, right? And from sugar, from fats, whatever. But ketones literally directly provide energy to the brain. So that's the difference. So when you take exogenous ketones, the subjective feeling of you getting the energy to your brain, the focus that you're feeling is not the same as when you take a stimulant. So you don't get the jitters, you don't get that heart palpitation. And for me, for example, I'm very sensitive to ketone, uh, sorry, very sensitive to caffeine. I can't take anything, 
like if I drink a cup of coffee, I'll start having a headache because it's just too much stimulant for me. Whereas ketones works perfectly for me and I drink it every day uh, before podcast, before workout. And it just gives me this push of energy without that super like I need to punch a hole in my wall feeling. And um, and that that works for me. So some people actually, they're crazy. They stack um, coffee or caffeine with ketones and that works for them. Because if you think about it, they can also work synergistically because one increases blood uh, brain energy demand and the other one provides brain energy. So sort of supply and demand uh, meeting the, 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 the increase in demand done by the stimulant. I'd love to ask you too, if this, this new way of processing ketones in the body by going through the liver, would this be potentially problematic for someone with fatty liver disease or who might be struggling with alcohol? You know, are there any side effects to that mechanism of processing the ketones? So a lot of people also ask this. They are like uh, really, you know, wary about it. And so far, we have not seen any data that shows us that it may be even remotely dangerous to the liver. The reason being, one, we are evolved to produce and metabolize ketones already. So all the enzymes are already naturally there. We're not inducing anything new. And this is not a foreign molecule because BHB is BHB is BHB, right? So our bodies know how to recognize it as a familiar molecule. It's not a pharmaceutical, it's not a drug that specifically blocks or interferes with a certain pathway. And two, it's only 70 calories per dose. So you're processing, processing 70 calories worth of clean source of energy. Imagine the amount that we put through our liver on a daily basis <laughs> compared to this. Like that's what a lot of people, they're like so worried about like liver damage. I'm like, think about the things that you put through your body first on a daily basis that you put through your liver to detox before you even think about this. Because this is like a clean source of energy versus Alcohol, for example, like Andrew Huberman talks uh, on, on, on alcohol a lot and, and they really show all these studies that the benefit, the small benefit that you may even get from certain alcohol may not even be good enough compared to the, the, the downfall, the, the, you know, the disadvantages of alcohol. So that's what I would, I would say in terms of effect or, or negative impact to your liver because it is simply converting it into BHB. So from BDO to BHB, it's not a process of detoxing. It's not a process of removing harmful substance that may be harmful to your body and then create a burden to the liver. It's a conversion process. Um, on top of that, I think, you know, obviously if you have concern um, about, you know, if people with fatty livers and, and dysfunctional livers, obviously do consult your physician before you take the supplement if that makes you feel better about it. Because in fact, now we have more and more doctors who actually sell ketone IQ and prescribe ketone IQ to their patients directly from their clinics. And we are so grateful that these doctors believe in our product because they've tried it, they've looked at the literature, they've looked at the science. We've always been very forthcoming when it comes to scientific findings and data that they put their credibility and their reputation online for our product. And we can't thank them enough uh, for our like doctor partners because yeah, when you see doctors who are saving lives actually prescribing this, this product to help their patients, that's when you know that, you know, what kind of product makes a difference. Yeah, I think it's also an interesting comparison because one beer is more than 70 calories. Correct. So, you know, the alcohol in a beer is typically a lot more to process. And that's just one beer. I think a lot of us have gone out and, and maybe had more than one adult beverage. And we're asking a lot for our liver. Um, Lat, I'd love to move into the realm of athletic performance. You know, we're talking to a bunch of endurance runners right now. You know, as we're thinking about ketones, how do they affect running performance? Can you, can you supplement with them? 
Is it something that you would take uh, before a workout or a race? I mean, what are the real athletic benefits here? Yeah, so from the studies that we have seen so far using exogenous ketones and, and pushing performance, for ketone ester, as I said earlier, um, we have seen some studies that showed improved performance and we have seen some studies that showed no improvement in performance. It wasn't detri detrimental, but there was no improvement. Uh, but instead, you get the increase in the cardiorespiratory stress biomarkers, as I, like I said earlier, because due to the acidification of blood, as well as increased heart rate, increased rate of perceived exertion. So let's talk about those studies that have shown improvement, right? They have shown one, the glycogen sparing effect. So the, because you're using an alternate fuel during a race or during a, a training session, during a run, you are essentially sparing your glycogen so that you can go further. And a lot of these athletes, when they are on ketones, and, and mind you, uh, exogenous ketones are not meant to completely replace your current nutritional strategy. It meant It's meant to augment whatever you already are doing. Granted, there are some people who really love ketone IQ and they would like go on long runs just on ketone IQ without any carbs. Majority of, of athletes who have tried that, um, they do feel like they're bonking out at certain point just because, the like you said, you know, it's a low calorie, right? It does provide you with energy, but I think most importantly, what we are still trying to understand is the effect of ketones on the brain when it puts you in the right zone and really push you to be so focused in what you're doing and therefore creating that benefit in performance. So recently, we just, studied, we just finished a study uh, with University of North Georgia, one of the leading military colleges in the US. For the first time ever, we are looking at anaerobic exercises because when we talk about exogenous ketones, most often than not, we are looking at endurance exercise because ketones were being converted from fatty acids. And when we talk about fatty acids, we always talk about endurance because when it comes to high intensive, like highly intensive anaerobic exercises, glucose is still the king when it comes to, like I said earlier, glycolysis, because you are going through short bout of really high intensity um, that you, you won't have enough oxygen in your body to provide um, the cells to create energy. And therefore you are just relying on that glycolysis on the glucose and glycolytic rate in order to produce the energy. But in this recent study that we did on ketone IQ specifically, these athletes, or no, actually these participants, they're not even athletes, they're just active students. Um, they went through a 5K run on ketones and carbs versus carbs alone. And then right after that, they were being asked to do an anaerobic Wingate test. And a Wingate test is essentially five bouts of 10 second sprint on a, a stationary bike at 7.5% of your body weight as resistance. So you push as hard as you can, as fast as you can for 10 seconds, you rest for 30 seconds, and then you do it again for five times. And what we have seen was really, really astounding because these participants essentially increased their peak performance, uh, peak power output, their average power output, their velocity, and they decreased their fatigue levels. So, and we're like, what is happening here? Because Yes, they, they probably save some glycogen during the 5K run, right? But just the glycogen is, it itself, is it enough to get them so far ahead? Um, we suspect that there is a certain mechanism as well that acts on the brain where these people feel less pain. So, so very similar to caffeine where you just can tolerate the pain much better and therefore you also can push further and harder and go through less fatigue. But it's, it's, it's the next stage of research to be done. This is fascinating. You know, one of my questions was going to be, this does seem like a type of supplement that would lend itself more to the marathoners, the ultra marathoners, the people who are going to be out there for three plus hours for their long runs and races, because you know, it seems to do exactly what we want it to do. Spare the glycogen reserves, give you an alternative fuel source so that you can get 
you know, 10, 20, 30 minutes into that marathon longer before you start hitting the wall and really depleting those glycogen reserves. And, you know, I, I know for me, I only really needed that extra half an hour. If I had just an extra half an hour of fueled running in my marathons, I probably wouldn't have hit the wall at all and been able to really have a strong last 10K, which as every marathoner knows is exactly what you want when you're racing 26.2 miles. Um, but it also seems like it can be helpful for the shorter races, but because of a different reason, it's more the cognitive side of things. Um, and, and I remember, you know, much to my college coach's dismay, I started drinking 16 ounces of cold black coffee from like an old water bottle before my cross country and track races as a senior in college, because, you know, at that time it was really becoming clear that caffeine is this proven performance enhancer and it wasn't giving me any extra energy. It was more changing my psychological perspective on the race. I mean, I was standing on that starting line, just ready to punch a hole in the wall. Like you were saying earlier, that's kind of where you want to be right before a short, fast, intense race. Um, and the ability for you to not experience pain exactly the same way is very interesting to me as a coach, because, you know, that's often the, the defining differential characteristic between runners who can push through that, that race related discomfort and those runners who, who sort of succumb to that fatigue. So this is really interesting. Um, do you typically recommend ketone supplementation for, for the longer distance folks, uh, because the, the data is still a little bit early on the anaerobic side of things? Yes, absolutely. So right now we have Sarah Hall, you know, marathoner, right? And, and she uses ketone IQ. Uh, we've got Don um, that just finished, I believe, 250 miles that he ran in the past week in Arizona. So our CEO, Michael Brandt, um, was running 25 miles pacing, you know, part of that that that, um, that run with him as well. So yes, it definitely still provides energy because like, like we said earlier, energy is energy is energy, right? You get the energy, you get the mental focus. Um, there is a no, it's a no brainer because you, you know, whether or not this can help with um, anaerobic exercise, it still provides energy in the long run anyway. But most importantly, the difference is that now it's ketone IQ versus ketone ester that was done in previous studies that has the GI issues. Whereas now we're not seeing the GI issues anymore. So people can just reliably count on the increase of blood BHB and blood ketone levels based on ketone IQ. And that's why uh, people prefer ketone IQ over ketone esters. And then another use case actually that I haven't even spoke about was one study used ketone esters as um, recovery strategy. So for three weeks, these cyclists went through training and after training, so half an hour after training, half an hour before bed, they were given protein, carbs, sort of standard uh, post-exercise nutritional strategy with exogenous ketones. And what they have seen after three weeks is that they improved their power output by 15%. And that is also corresponding with an increased intake of calories. Now, this is the interesting part because when people take ketone IQ or exogenous ketones at rest, they find a subtle appetite suppression effect. But these athletes, because they've been training really regularly and really rigorously, they saw an increase in calorie intake. So in a way, ketones is, is, is such a, an adaptive fuel that depending on what stimulus and what activity you're doing, it, it adapts to that in order to maximize whatever you're trying to do. So same thing with uh, another study that looked at exogenous ketones and um, glycogen synthesis. They improved glycogen resynthesis after exercise. They also have, sh have shown that in muscle cells, it, when taken with carbs, proteins, ketones also increase mTOR activation for protein synthesis post-exercise, which is, you know, again, something that is useful for people who are training both anaerobic and aerobic because you need muscles for both anyway. And I think that really drives home the message of 
the use of ketones in both acute settings sort of pre-workout setting as well as post-exercise recovery setting. Yeah, I, I discuss a lot about how you can enhance the recovery process after any difficult workout or run by taking some fuel during that run or workout because you're just going into less of a calorie deficit and and you're giving your body more fuel when it needs to when it needs it so that after the run you don't necessarily need to eat as much because your body is already in that process of processing calories restocking glycogen stores and, and like you mentioned starting to rebuild those damaged muscle fibers by you know starting to get some protein in so it's really interesting to me that it's it's sort of like this interesting type of molecule that helps in a lot of different ways and and like I, I'm admittedly a little bit cautious. Like this sounds too good to be true, right? No, that, this is exactly what I talked about. I think um, last week I was on a podcast as well, and I'm like, I know it sounds like a snake oil that it does every single yeah. thing. What's and the it, catch, lad? It cures you. It it sort it sorts out all your problems. No, it doesn't. Right? It doesn't. And what I tell people, this is ultimately still a supplement. Right? You need to dial in your. Uh, if I'm talking on chronic disease spectrum, if I'm talking on metabolic health spectrum, you still need to dial in all your foundation, right? You need to um, dial in your, your nutrition, your physical activity, your stress management, your sleep management before you even rely on supplement. If everything else is out of whack, just like a dose of 70 calories of ketones will not do much for you, right? But if you are an athlete, you're already on top of your game and you're trying to have that extra edge then this may very well be able to push you further and, and really prime your body for better performance, but also better recovery. So overall, that compounding effect will also make it way more, way more um, significant and prominent compared to you know, your competitors, for, for, for example. So I think in terms of what is the, the the cons, right? So one is appetite suppression. So some people feel like they can't eat a lot and they need to eat a lot. So, you know, that's one of the you know, side effects that some people may actually play around that and use that as an advantage. So depending on how you see it. Uh, two is that usually one hour after you have ketone IQ, you also see your blood um, glucose drop about up to 50 points. So there's um, a study that looked at obese patients and diabetic patients after food and they have ketone IQ and they see a consistent drop in blood glucose, which in a lot of cases is really good because especially nowadays with such an abundance of hyperpalatable, hyperprocessed sugars that we are getting, lowering blood sugar and, and allowing our body to adapt to a phase where we're not just having chronically increased blood sugar, that may be a good thing. But if you are running, that's why most of the time I'm like, if you're running, if you're already burning all your fuel, make sure you top up with that sugar on top of ketones and the ketones will do its best to save your glycogen and spare your glycogen. And then you're still burning the glucose and slowly tapping into your fat source as well. And a, a, another point I want to point out is that a lot of people don't realize metabolism is not a linear thing. It's not a linear pathway where it's, oh, I'm burning sugar. Okay, I'm going to shut everything down. I'm, I'm, I'm burning fat. I'm going to shut the rest down. It's always in a flux. We are always, our body is always trying to finesse the rate of sugar burning versus fat burning versus fat storage mobilization versus ketones sparing glycogen. It's always in a, a very delicate equilibrium, if you would. And, and that really, uh, it, it really um, depends on, first of all, what you are good at metabolizing, two, what you give your body uh, to metabolize, and three, what is the current activity that drives towards one substrate and not the other, for example, anaerobic versus aerobic, right? If you're doing zone two cardio, we all know that you are tapping more into your fat storage and really priming your body to be able to be more effective at metabolizing fats. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it's never an either or scenario. You're always burning some combination of both fat and glucose. And 
you know, the, the whole nutrition, you know, goal of endurance runners is to prioritize what is most effective for you, depending on what type of run you're going on, what the intensity of that is, the duration of that. So, you know, this seems like a really a good way to sort of manage that balance. Um, now, when I was preparing for this conversation, I was reading that uh, ketone supplementation can increase natural EPO production. Now, obviously, we're not going to take exogenous EPO that is banned, not a good idea, don't do it. But if we can boost it naturally, and we can boost EPO naturally, you know, by doing a certain type of running workout, or by getting in the gym and lifting some heavy weight. So it's, it's always a good physiological end result of our training to boost natural EPO. What is your take on how ketones affect your natural EPO production? I think, um, you know, that one study came out and it was really, you know, a lot of people were retweeting it. A lot of people were sort of talking about it. I think it's a really interesting paper for sure. And it does play into the idea of how ketones help with adaptation to hypoxia right? Low oxygen we're talking about. And it makes a lot of sense. But it also doesn't explain the acute use, the acute adaptation to hypoxia because EPO takes a while to um, essentially get produced and develop and, and, and increase in number. So that plays more into role of a chronic ad adaptation to hypoxia. But if we are talking about long-term and just over- you know, weeks or months of you training and having ketones and increase EPO and increase oxygen delivery and oxygen uh, usage, then I think it's a great tool. Um, I just hope that they don't see this and they're like, oh, it's increasing EPO and then we're going to ban it as well. Because it's essentially a product. It's a food product. It's a substrate that you can take. So, you know, and, and I think to a certain extent, it will be interesting to dwell more into the research to see do you need a certain stimulus in order to increase the EPO production is it just drinking the ketones and you know if you're at rest and whatever and it'll increase or do you need to be at high altitude what will happen if you are training every day is that going to increase even more or is that going to inhibit it? So those are the questions that that paper sort of brought forth because now we can create different situations and different control environment to really dial in onto what is actual, what is the actual mechanism of action that is helping this. Um, we are now also, um, speaking of which, we are applying for a grant um, for, uh, to the European Space Agency uh, to look at ketone IQ for astronauts in terms of, um, you know, hypoxia, in terms of um, ionization, radiation damage uh, protection as well. So that's that's another very interesting point um, when we talk about like production of, you know, making sure we have enough oxygen and at high altitude at, in the space even. So Wow, it seems like there's so many different applications to this really interesting molecule. And you know, I've I've been very public about my aversion to the ketogenic diet because it's it's just not something that endurance runners are really going to thrive from, uh, especially on the average. Of course, there's probably some outliers, but it, it seems like this is taking all of the benefits of ketones without the drawbacks of not consuming any carbohydrate and being in ketosis through that way. So I'm really excited about what the future studies are going to tell us about ketones, because it seems like, you know, you, you said we've only really been able to extract exogenous ketones and then from there start putting them in studies and, and seeing how the research has affected uh, since 2017. So we're still in the very early phases of understanding exactly how ketones can be used. Um, maybe we can discuss a little bit for our endurance runners that are listening, what might a potential ketone protocol look like? You know, what would you recommend for an adult runner? Let's say this runner is training for a marathon. How could they use this conversation, the information that we just discussed to benefit both their training and their racing? Great question. Before I go there as well, Jason, I want to cover 
that you mentioned that um, you know we're still at a very early age of ketone, our exogenous ketone research, and thanks to exogenous ketones, we are also able to put people who have difficulty getting into ketosis in ketosis so that they benefit from it from uh, you know uh, cancer research to um, metabolic health and all of that to performance because otherwise some people they're just not like you said it's too restrictive to be on the diet or their their livers are just not um, converting fats into ketones fast enough or in a, in a manner where it's enough for you to get into nutritional ketosis so that allows you but while we know that this is still an early age in terms of ketone research, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I'm going to wait for like another 10 years to make sure that it's safe and all of that, right? Know that while it is early, like I said, it is not a pharmacological intervention in terms of it's not a, a pharmaceutical. It's not a drug. It doesn't mess with your pathway. A ketone is ketone is ketone. We are evolved to be able to produce ketone and metabolize ketone. And butane diol, which is the raw ingredient in ketone IQ, has been found naturally in small amounts in coconut and avocado, peppers, and a lot of natural foods. So there is nothing unnatural about it. The only thing that is new is our physiological state that has high glucose and high ketones at the same time. That is the new new um, research that's being shown um, that allows us to really push human performance to the next level because of the interaction between these different substrates. So that was what I was going to add. And then back to your question on the protocol. So based on the studies that have been conducted and what we recommend currently to athletes uh, consuming ketone IQ would be take it half an hour before you start an exercise and top it up 90 minutes into your exercise. So two hours after, right? And if your workout, your race is longer than that, I would top up every 90 minutes. And usually what we would recommend for performance as well. So one dose of ketone IQ is one shot and that's 10 grams. A lot of these studies, they're also, they're weight match dose. So they, they follow... 0.3 to 0.5 grams per kilogram of body weight. In which case, if you are like 70 kilogram person, they are taking up to like 35 grams, which is three doses. So way higher doses than what we recommend. Um, but because we want this to be essentially a fourth micronutrient, at people, even for people who are not using it for performance, they can just take one dose for productivity for work for cognition for cognition and all of that so for performance a lot of athletes would start with like two doses and then half an hour before and then top up 90 minutes after you start you, you've been exercising uh, just top up one or two more doses as well um, some people prefer to take a dose after exercise for recovery um, with um, carbs and protein just because from the study on the recovery so I think that hopefully that's helpful enough. Yeah, I'll just share my personal experience. You know, I've I've used ketone IQ a couple times, and it's certainly something that makes me feel more focused. I can I can certainly feel those cognitive effects. Uh, I did forget to take one before our conversation today, which is probably why I just feel a little bit slow and off my game here. But it's Monday. Uh, <laughs> it does that to everyone. <laughs> oh, Mondays. Um, so yeah, I, I have experienced that. I have not taken it 30 minutes before a long run or a really challenging training session. So I haven't experienced any performance-related uh, uh, benefits there. But what's really interesting to me is taking it after a long run, for example. And, and I'm using myself as an example here because after long runs, I typically feel low, not just from an energy perspective, but also psychologically, you know, I just, uh, I, I need to go just sit down on the floor and, you know, scroll on my phone and just be totally unproductive for a little while. And I did find that after a long run, there is so much less of that foggy cognitive cloud that sort of takes over your brain after a really challenging long run. And, and that to me is, is huge because all of a sudden, 
you don't have to dedicate your entire day to your long run, which I used to do. And it used to take up like an eight hour period because of all the preparation and then recovery and then, you know, cognitive recovery that had to happen. So it seems like this is great for those performance runners who are doing long runs and challenging training sessions, but that are also just busy people and then need to get on with their day and go to work or or be there and be present with their family. So I see a lot of benefits in that regard. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think on days which I'm really busy having like three podcasts back to back, and then I'm going to go work out and then I have a deadline to finish a document. Uh, it really helps me keeping my sort of productivity level like my brain doesn't just go wander around and and just you know that fatigue level you're just zoning out literally you're staring at your screen and nothing's coming out i think that has really helped me um help powered me through all those days and i think a lot of athletes they found the recovery part as well quite useful in terms of you know like i said in the study that we looked at anaerobic you just literally feel less fatigue which in a lot of cases that makes the whole lot of difference because now that you've done your training now that you've got that out of the way you want to do your other stuff in the day and making sure you have the energy both brain energy and then body uh, energy in order to complete your tasks well, Lat, let me just say that as a podcaster, I am very impressed by the fact that you've done three episodes in one day. That is an enormous psychological challenge. That to is the on. limit, though. That is the limit that I've done. <laughs> I, I did not push for anything more than three. Anything more than three, that would be too much for me. And I think it also, I think, I believe the three that I did, it was a mixture of both being interviewed and interviewing. But I think, which actually, you know, now that we thought, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to to get off topic, but what do you think is easier, interviewing or being interviewed? I think it's easier being interviewed because you don't really need to control the conversation. You don't need to make sure that you're being a good host. You don't need to deal with any of the technology, making sure that you know, all those things are working correctly behind the scenes to make sure that the listeners are, are, are going to get a good conversation. So right. Being a guest is easy. You just show up, you know. And just you, pull whatever is in your brain. Right. I mean, there there certainly can be some prep beforehand, but uh, being a guest, I think, is a little easier. Yeah, I, I think I was, because um, at that point, we were recording some live podcasts um, in LA, because I'm based in San Francisco. So I went to LA, our edit editor at that time was based in LA, and they have a studio. So I was like, well, let's jam everything, like, to make sure it's cost-efficient and do everything in one day. So, and then after that, I haven't done that since. I think that was the <laughs> end of last year. It was really taxing. And I believe I've done one time, it was like eight interviews in three days. And I was also fasting two of those days, 48 hours, just going through it and just be on ketone IQ. Uh, and that got me through. You mentioned that the brain eats up about 25% of either the body's calories or glucose. I forget which one it was, but... I wonder what it was on those days. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a good, good good science experiment to have. Yeah. <laughs> especially the if especially if I'm fasting, like the rest of my body is probably gonna lower whatever function, physiological function there is to conserve energy. But then I'm also doing something that is cognitively demanding, and therefore my brain will probably turn up the demand for, for physiological energy. So yeah, you got a point, uh, great point. Um, I don't know. Yeah, th th there'd be an interesting study, especially for this podcaster. I'd love to know the results of that. Yeah. Um, well, Lat, this has been super interesting just to learn more about this very fascinating molecule and how it can be applied for both physical and psychological benefits for athletes uh, and busy people too, who, who just want that mental edge. Is there anything I might have missed that our audience of runners might want to know about ketones, ketone supplementation, uh, potential drawbacks of ketone use, how they might use it in their training? Um, I think we covered pretty much everything. Um, you know, we covered MCT, ketone salts, ketone esters, and then what ketone IQ is, you know, being the latest generation. Some people, some athletes also find ketone salts um, because of the salt load, they find it a bit difficult when it comes to increasing the dose. 
because when you increase too much on the ketone salt, you might induce GI issues or you just get like water retention, huge water retention, and then you just feel unwell. Um, apart from that, I think we covered pre-workout sort of protocol uh, for acute setting. We covered anaerobic, which is the latest study. It's still in the review. The paper should be out in a couple of weeks. And uh, we covered recovery as well when it comes to uh, using in conjunction with carbs and protein for both glycogen resynthesis as well as mTOR activation and protein synthesis. Awesome. Well, I'm going to continue to experiment with ketone supplementation in my own training and everyday life because it was just something that I, I noticed this immediate difference in, in how I felt. And, and it was actually quite nice. You know, it didn't have the same jitteriness or, or sort of anxious, you know, like I'm stimulated, but I don't know what to do next. My brain's all over the place that sometimes you can get if you have too much caffeine. Uh, and, and then of course, now that it's getting a little bit warmer, it's almost summertime here in Denver. I can't wait to go out and do some longer trail runs when the trails open up. So it's going to be a really nice experiment for me over the next couple of months. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people like yourself, you know, athletes, you guys know your body best, the best, right? So when you take ketone IQ, I, I really love seeing the light bulb turn on when they're like, oh, I feel different and, and I'm so in tune with my body. And then when they go for a run, they're like, oh, I do the same exact route and I've got, you know, the same exact distance, but I feel like right after I finish, I still can go for another run. <laughs> That's always nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, Lat, this has been super interesting. Thank you for your expertise and all the work you're doing. Uh, I can't wait to continue following it so that we continue learning more about this. Thank you for having me. And there we have it, my friends. Thank you for listening. And if you'd like to pay it forward, please rate and review the show on Apple Music. Share it with your running friends or your club, or you can invest in a training program at strengthrunning.com slash coaching. You can also support the show by supporting our sponsors. By using their links and discount codes, you'll support the Strength Running Podcast, and you'll tell them that they should continue sponsoring this show. First, I want to thank Prevenex, for supporting our podcast and my personal health over the last few months. I've talked at length about my resistance to supplements in the past, but now I've finally found a company that I can trust. And there are two important things that sold me on Prevenex. First, I took the products consistently for over a month. And even though I was skeptical that I was actually going to feel any real benefits in that short of a time period, I did. I genuinely felt better and I had more energy throughout the day. But even more than that, I've seen so many testimonials from so many runners on the health and performance benefits that they have experienced to greatly help their running. From more energy and stamina while running to faster recovery post-run. Now, I'm personally a big fan of the multivitamin and their immune support product, it's going to fill your nutrient gaps and needs and keep you healthy so that you can continue training more consistently over time. But one product I want to highlight today is a product that many runners consider to be the joint supplement for runners. It's called Joint Health Plus, and you can read reviews for yourself on Prevenex.com, but I want to summarize. Runners are seeing meaningful reductions in joint pain and faster joint recovery from workout to workout. So if you are someone that experiences any level of joint pain, this is a product you may want to look into. So why is it so great for runners specifically beyond all those benefits we just mentioned? That's because the main active ingredient is clinically proven to reduce joint pain, joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in only 7 to 10 days. And beyond that, it's also clinically proven, not just tested, but actually proven in double-blinded, placebo-controlled studies to protect joint cartilage from breaking down during exercise. So if joint longevity, performance, and everyday health matter to you, check out Joint Health Plus to experience the benefits yourself. Visit Prevenex.com. That's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com. And use code JASON15 to save 15% on your first purchase. And best of all, Prevenex has a 100% money-back guarantee. So if you don't feel the benefits, you can return the product, no questions asked. Use code JASON15 
for 15% off the only supplements that I trust at Prevenex.com. Next is one of my favorite strength and performance tools, the Mobo Board. Go to MoboBoard.com and use code STRENGTHRUN10 to save 10% on your board. It was invented by renowned physical therapist Jada Sherry, who I actually spent some time with just this past weekend. I took his physical therapy workshop, Refining the Running Rehab Journey, even though I'm not a physical therapist. (laughs) I was the only running coach there. But this course was all about treating injuries, preventing injuries, and helping runners move better so that they can focus on performance. Now, the MOBO board plays a big part in these goals because it helps you stabilize your stance with an innovative rocker board that's set up on these two fins. And there's a hole where your four little toes are supposed to be, which effectively forces you to drive your big toe into the board to improve your stability. You can hear more about stability training from Jay and I in episode 275 of the podcast. Now, I mentioned this before, but I was pretty arrogant going into my first session on the MOBO board. How hard can it be to balance, right? Well, I was humbled pretty quickly. Even if you're a good runner, better balance, stability, and proprioception are all going to help you have a more powerful stride and prevent more running injuries. You'll learn how to improve the efficiency of the kinetic chain from your hip to your big toe. Because if you can't stabilize your leg with your big toe driving down into the ground, you don't have a stable stance and your race times will be slower and your injury risk will be higher. Because as Jay likes to say, it's not just how strong you are, but how well you use that strength. Thankfully, the MOBO board is affordable, but you can also save 10% with code STRENGTHRUN10 at MOBOBOARD.COM. That's STRENGTHRUN10 at MOBOBOARD.COM. All right, that's our show, runners. Thank you for subscribing and sharing the show with your friends. Support us by using our sponsored links, reviewing the podcast, or getting a training program for yourself at strengthrunning.com slash coaching. My number one goal is to elevate your running, so don't ever hesitate to reach out through the Strength Running website, or you can message me on Instagram at Jason Fitz1. Talk to you soon.